Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of yet another tumultuous week in the big wide world of international relations and domestic politics. Let's take stock of where we are. There's still a lot of trouble for Nicola Sturgeon up in Scotland after an influential committee has revealed that she did indeed mislead the Scottish Parliament over the Alex Salmond affair. The big question now is going to be whether she meant to, whether she knew she was misleading them, because only in the world of politics can you do something that you didn't know you were doing. For example, can you imagine somebody saying to you, What's happened to your car? I parked it over there. Did you? Did you mean to park it over there? I don't think so. I'm not sure why I parked it over there. Um, I don't remember when I parked it over there. Uh, and I'm pretty certain that uh, whenever I did park it over there, uh, there was nothing wrong with me doing so. Can you imagine trying to get off a parking ticket, say, something like that? Nicola Sturgeon's trying to get off running the country by making out that she doesn't remember what she did and she doesn't remember why she did it, uh, but she's pretty sure she didn't mean to do it. That's all right then. The European Union is still operating like a mafia protection racket over the distribution of the COVID vaccines, threatening to block exports and demanding imports from the UK. And the government is now trying to make out that they can boast about the number of jabs they've done, while at the same time saying it's all going to slow down. Some very troubling messages being sent around from doctor surgeries. We'll be talking to Dr Lawrence Gurlis to find out from him what exactly is going on. Meanwhile, the BBC is still employing smug, middle-class, Britain-hating presenters after yesterday's disgraceful mocking of the Queen and the Union flag on The Breakfast Show. In other words, things are very much as they were. 0344 499 1000. This morning we're kicking off with former Tory MP uh, Nick Dubois with his take on the week in politics and just how much trouble the SNP is actually in north of the border. We'll also catch up uh, with our good friend Dr. Rakiba San on what the Labour Party has to do to keep hold of the Hartlepool seat now vacant after their incumbent resigned uh, over a sexual harassment scandal. You're listening, Sir Keir Starmer. How the hell did this guy still stand and win election after the scandal had already been revealed? As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And where are you going this weekend? 0344 499 1000. Lisa Francesca Nand will bring us the latest on the holiday and travel business front. Pauline Latham MP will bring us her campaign to highlight a new charity. And Kevin O'Sullivan will be here as well with a look ahead to his big weekend shows. And because it's Friday, you know what's coming, don't you? It's a very special Perrier Awards with Marta Maligon, our producer from Catalonia. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Oh, here we are, just with a little breaking news as well. Apparently, Mr, Mrs and Miss is going to be replaced by... Mix. I'll try and say that again. Mix. Mix. It's apparently the new gender-free description of people, right? And it's not just anyone that's coming up with this plan. It is, in fact, 
a council in Bournemouth. Mr. Mrs. So please do not call anyone Mr. Do not call anyone Mrs. Do not call anyone Miss. It has to be... I think I'm getting that right. If you could pronounce it any better, please let me know. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, former Conservative MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, a talk radio host, of course, between 5 and 7pm every single Saturday. Nick, a very good morning to you. <laughs> you call me Mr. All right. I'm Listen, with I will insist. I mate. will insist. I don't have very many dealings with Bournemouth City Council, but when I do have, I will insist on them calling me Mr. Graham. <laughs> it, is, right it, is mad, it? it is absolutely bonkers, isn't it? Not, not something that they have to worry about in the House of Commons because they deliberately don't call you Mr, Mrs or even your name. They just call you Honourable Friend or Honourable Member. Yes. It won't be long before we neutralise everything. Oh, my God. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, that's absolutely. Let's get on to something uh, a little bit more serious. Nicola Sturgeon up in Scotland this morning, Nick, uh, saying to uh, anyone that wishes to listen that basically uh, we should wait until another report comes out on the specificity, uh, shall we say, of uh, the uh, um, accusations that she misled Parliament. And then we should also wait for 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 the full report to come out on Tuesday. Well, um, it's getting a bit farcical, this, and she's obviously commissioned her own inquiry and she's waiting for her own inquiry from a solicitor to report to hopefully, for her, show her innocent. That's presumably what the whole point behind her commissioning her own inquiry for that is for. But basically, the committee report that has come out is the most important. Mm. And um, look, we don't honestly know what's in it, but these leaks tend to be really accurate. And it has a little bit sat on the fence here because it's basically said she has misled Parliament, but it hasn't said apparently she's knowingly misled Parliament, which is, of course, something she would like to cling to in the event of um, being challenged for her job and right to stay as Prime Minister. Because if you knowingly mislead Parliament, you breach the, the ministerial code and you're out on your ear, basically. Yes, but um, why is there why is there a difference in Parliament than there, than there is outside? Because in the big outside world in which we all have to live, there's no excuse if you didn't know the law. It doesn't mean that you're not guilty just because you didn't know that you were breaking the law, is there? <laughs> No, but I think, look, before I get dragged too far down that route, I think there is, whatever the report says, there is the perception of what has happened here and the fact that she did lead Miss Parliament and she's going to get an absolute hammering in Parliament for that. Um, It's a question of whether her own party stick with her. Now, all her own uh, MPs, presumably on this committee, were the ones who managed to engineer it so that it wasn't uh, recorded as knowingly misled Parliament. Mm. It's a lifeboat she's going to hang on to. Now, two things about this. You know, until now, the SNP, who've got elections coming up in May, have been riding high in the polls. Recently... They've come down a bit. They're yeah. level pegging now. It's it's they're below fifty percent. So in that sense, they're not going for an outright majority on those polls, which is an outcome that um, you know all the opposition parties would dearly love to have. But no one's following the detail really in Scotland except um, uh, insiders. What they're getting is an impression basically of a bit of a sleazy, incompetent government up there yeah. in Scotland, and that's what matters in voters' minds. So. By all means, if Nicola Sturgeon wants to carry on clinging to power, despite what is becoming apparently clear, that she has one way or the other misled Parliament, then it strikes me that that might actually work in the interests of the opposition parties, because there's nothing more desperate than someone who's been 
generally assumed to have done this wrongdoing and is clinging to power. Mm. And what's interesting as well is the way that people are beginning to question the setting up uh, and the constitutionality, if you like, of the way that the Scottish government works, because David Davis, as you know, uh, got up in Parliament bravely, rather bravely this week, I thought, and, and sort of uncovered an awful lot of stuff, which up to now hadn't really been discussed, because as far as he was concerned, he was going to use parliamentary privilege to say many of the things which in Scotland you can't say for fear of prosecution. And we've now got a situation where um, the Lord Advocate, uh, who is the chief prosecutor in Scotland, is a member of the government, so is unlikely to be, uh, you know, encouraged to press charges against any Anybody in it. You've also got, uh, you know, the situation where the, these committees are being set up and Nicola Sturgeon is effectively blaming decisions being made in those committees because of opposition MPs. Yeah. And, and the absurdity of, the, of this situation is that you've effectively got things being talked about on the Internet and the news and mm. the media that cannot be talked about in Parliament right. because of um, uh, because of the lack of parliamentary privilege. Parliamentary privilege is a brilliant concept. And, and actually, you could argue these powers should be extended to a Parliament, a Scottish Parliament. Mm. You could say devolution, if you like, hasn't gone far enough in some senses to allow uh, the scrutiny and protection that MPs join enjoy in, uh, in Parliament, which is this right to be able to pretty much say what you like without fear of prosecution. And that leads to the unravelling of some pretty horrific scandals. It's allowed for naming of people um, that is, uh, 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 which has turned out uh, to be absolutely justified. I remember um, former members of parliament, uh, members of parliament doing it when I was in parliament. It's used wisely, it's used discreetly. David Davis, you know, he, he basically blasted out uh, um, uh, some facts that were hitherto not even being considered mm. in the committee. Uh, in Scotland that was looking into it. That's right. And the Scottish government's um, um, answer to it, which they gave to us, <clears throat> excuse me, in a statement uh, some hours later the next morning, was completely derisory. It basically said, well, all of this has been addressed before. Uh, there's nothing to see here. Please move on. You know, they didn't address any of the whistleblower accusations. They claimed that they had nothing to do with the original investigation whatsoever. And basically, I mean, it seems to me that the, the, the tenant of the SNP's government is to just shut every critic down. And the same reason they brought in this hate law uh, up in Scotland, which is outrageous uh, attack on free speech. But it's basically designed to stop anyone from being critical of them. And look at and, and, and in that vein, look at Nicola Sturgeon herself last night, basically in the in the face of this leak. She's basically saying, I've done everything that was expected of me. I've been completely transparent about this and uh, I've presented uh, completely contrary evidence. It's the opposition who are making things up. They prejudge me without listening to the evidence. Nothing to see here, mm. Governor. Now, this is all the classic signs of a government retreating into its bunker. Yes. And to, and to do that before an election should encourage the opposition because uh, that it will create this general sleaze of, of actually, you know what? The Scottish National Party aren't good governors of Scotland. They don't have this wonderful record on COVID that everyone no. thinks about. Education is not going brilliantly well in Scotland as a result of this government. And it will start for people perhaps to take a step back and say, you know what? I, don't, I think it's time for a change. Mm. This shambles, this lot are not doing a very good job. And that, of course, is the stuff that produces swings in elections that at the very least will hold an out, will stop an outright majority for them so they can mm. carry on, frankly. Um, uh, so they can't carry on, frankly, governing in the style and the fashion mm. that is particularly 
uh, obnoxious. And in the end, it's the public that suffers if that is the case, because they'll end up going into uh, sort of uh, bizarre coalitions with, with with strange and unusual people. And sometimes, as they've done before, the Green Party, uh, who have been in Scotland in particular, uh, are a very different uh, kettle of fish to the Green Party of the UK in that that they want independence for Scotland. Yes, I mean, look, coalitions don't um, uh, don't always work in the interests of the people because what happens is they vote for a manifesto and they think they're going to get a government that's going to deliver that manifesto, and then you all go into back rooms and do do up deals, um, which effectively chucks the manifesto that people have just voted on out of the window. We saw that even with the Cameron um, and Nick Clegg yeah. uh, uh, election, where, of course, the Conservatives promised a contract for Britain. That was their manifestos. The Liberals promised their promises, uh, whatever they may be, generally f uh, never considered fit for government. Um, and they went into a room and they stitched up a deal behind their backs that did not reflect what um, the voters had necessarily voted for. And and that that is the practice um, that goes on with the um, minority governments. Yes, and that well, is something that is a, a, you know, a bit of a bear trap for voters because they end up thinking they may have curtailed one beast, mm. but end up with a new one. Well, who can forget the final hours of the Gordon Brown government, which was like something out of one of those dark political comedies where he was literally sort of hurling himself uh, from one room to another, trying to get a coalition with practically anyone uh, that could keep him in power. It was quite bizarre, wasn't it? Yes, and of course, people then forget that the only way there could have been a possible deal was if he actually gave up power, which himself and left someone else to <laughs> the Labour Party, which didn't kind of work out very well for him. But, no. you know, Scotland, in a nutshell, um, that that is uh, no, not many people are paying to the detail up there. But I think this government is beginning to have that stench around it that is going to uh, cause them a lot of problems in the upcoming election. Absolutely right. What sort of a week do you think it's been? You've got a show tomorrow, uh, which I'm sure will be uh, brilliant. You've got you've got to, to look back at a week of, uh, of Boris Johnson's kind of uh, popularity. What are you going to be saying? Well, look, I, I, you cannot look back at last week without looking at, frankly, what was the shocking protectionism on display from the EU. Yeah. Uh, the very, I have to say, the very um, tempered response from the UK government. Uh, the, the, the EU have stepped up and basically said, we're going to ignore contracts made legitimately between countries. We are going to actually impose state control on what is produced. They even talk about the EU vaccines. These are not EU vaccines. These are vaccines produced by companies that have bases in the exactly. European Union. And the state wants to step in in the most aggressive of fashion, tear up legal contracts and say that they're acting in the public interest. And at the same time, Mike, they have the cheek. Remember Charles Michel, president of the council? Oh, yes. Actually accused Britain without any foundation whatsoever of uh, uh, practising vaccine nationalism. Mm. To turn around a week later after all that was proved to be a nonsense, to basically give AstraZeneca a, a good kicking, threaten um, uh, vaccine nationalism, which w w w was, was just completely unacceptable. Dominic Raab's quite right. This is the sort of behaviour I expect from a, a, a tin pot re a republic dictatorship. Yes. Um, this, uh, this, this really has shown the EU and their true colours. It's very disappointing. It will have worried some people. Uh, but the bottom line is I think the government have responded calmly, modestly, sensibly, yep. and they will try and avoid this happening.
No, well, well to, our, our government, it, you know, our government throughout all of this has, has appeared to be mature, has appeared to be caring and has appeared to actually be quite efficient, as opposed to the complete opposite of that from the European Union, throwing their toys out of the pram, making threats, trying to shut down Ireland, put a border in the middle of it and then reversing right. that. I mean, it's been extraordinary how useless they are. And in fact, all they've proven is what Nigel Farage has been saying all along, that they are basically a collection of jumped up councillors who have suddenly got an awful lot of power uh, that they wield across Europe, but really, they're not very good. Well, we know that the president of the commission herself had a dismally pathetic record in Germany as defence minister of where, by the way, she failed on procurement mm. in defence uh, for, for defence products for the, for the German military. And she's now gone on and performed at a supranational scale and is using, frankly, uh, uh, appalling rhetoric uh, uh, of this idea of banning exports, uh, which they claim are their exports, which are actually nothing to do with them, uh, and getting support from President Macron. Uh, you know, now this this really is quite extraordinary that both Germany and France should intimate that they support what uh, Ursula von der Leyen has said. Take note, many other countries are far more um, sceptical about this bullish approach. They believe that actually this is not the way uh, to build towards getting vaccines into the hands of the people who need it, i.e. the population. Holland are very, uh, uh, there's a thing called co-reaper where all the ambassadors get together basically once a week with the commission and mm. they have not been that impressed with the behavior but what is president macron doing darling of the media so he doesn't get the criticism trump would have got had uh trump oh, come God, out no. and said, i am banning sending these vaccines uh, i want to ban sending these legitimately ordered vaccines to another country further he goes even further when he actually discredits a product astrazeneca mm. with no foundation whatsoever and in doing so is putting the lives of his citizens at risk. They take no second thoughts about it. Can you imagine how Trump would have been oh, I know. Uh, trashed in the press? And of course, that? quite to the, to the reverse of the narrative about Donald Trump, he's actually been encouraging people to get the vaccine. Well, you know, it's a strange world we live in, isn't it? How things look in different well, perspectives when again, someone I mean, is out of office. That, you might say the same about Joe Biden, just, just finally, Nick. I don't know if you've got any room for him on your show, but uh, he comes out this week to say that he believes um, Vladimir Putin to be a killer uh, and we'll all find out soon what's going to happen to him. And you're kind of going, well, hang on a minute, mate. You've already bombed Syria. You've only been in a couple of months. What are you going to do for an encore? I think just watch America with as much fascination as we watch Trump, but I fear with an outcome that is not going to be very palatable for a lot of people. But we won't be doing Biden tomorrow. We are going to be looking ahead because we're going to be discussing something that I think shocks you probably, Mike, as much as it does me, is how willingly the British public have given up their freedoms to the state. Yeah. Something that we all said a year ago, well, you can't impose rules and regulations like they do in China because we're not like China. Mm. This government has found out that actually we're quite willing to be locked down, or most of the country is. And what does that bode for the future? We'll have Sir Graham Brady, of course, the most senior backbencher you can possibly get, yes. who is very concerned about this willingness to lock down. And we'll be listening to what he has to say about what it means for the future. Yes, Graham is very good. I've heard him before on talk radio saying basically that people in his constituency up there in Manchester uh, have been in lockdown pretty much for the entire year in one form or another. And I'm astonished that there are still people, even now, despite the fact that the vaccine programme is so successful, despite the fact that we know the COVID rates are way down and we've got now just double figures in terms of the number of deaths every day, that they want to keep all of this going on. They want to stop us having an economy. They want to stop us having freedom. They want to stop us having tourism and stop us from going anywhere.
Well, Mike, just think about this. What does it mean for the future? I tell you what it could mean. It could mean that, say, we get a particularly bad flu one year where it's not the, the typical, mm. you know, sadly, nine or 10,000 deaths, but maybe it's 20 or 30,000. Governments can now go, oh, we could lock down and deal with this, I can't know. we? What's to stop that? Well, do you know you what know, I'll you... say if they try that on with me? I'll say, well, hang on a minute. When you did it with COVID, you said it's not like flu, so you can stick that in your crawl. Yeah. Not you personally. But the problem obviously. is... Whilst they might stick it in their craw, I'm not sure they will, Mike, because the public seem to have accepted that they will abandon these freedoms. How, and what can politicians, we'll be asking, Graham, what can politicians do? Because is it enough just to get rid of the legislation? Because, you know, governments, uh, particularly of the left normally, not the Conservatives mm. you wouldn't have expected, love this authoritarian stuff and they can just bring it back. So I think that's a key question for the future more so as we are winning the war on on this uh, covid we are getting the vaccines out we are soon to be free i hope but i worry for the future excellent well i shall keep a place at the table for you at the uh, uh, local hostelry nick hopefully see you there soon uh, nick dubois tomorrow from five o'clock right here on talk radio uh, also also author of confessions of a recovering mp mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now, let's say a very, very good morning to our good friend Pauline Latham, Conservative MP for Mid-Derbyshire. Pauline, very good morning to you. Morning. Thanks so much for joining us. We normally talk about the, the lockdown and how that's all going, but today there's something special that you want to talk about, um, and I'm delighted that, that uh, you've chosen us to talk, to, to, to talk about it too. Um, tell us what it is. Well, we're starting a new charity which will be launched next week uh, on the 31st, um, and it sounds rather boring really the aortic dissection charitable trust mm. but most people in this country have never heard of aortic dissection until it affects them and in fact more than 2,000 people a year die from aortic dissection and it's only then that people really hear about it and it's more people than die on our roads these days so it is quite a big killer and there's more than that of course who survive it so it is quite a big thing, but as I say, nobody's heard of it. They've heard of aneurysms, they've heard of heart attacks, they've mm. heard of all sorts, but not uh, aortic dissection. And the problem is, if it isn't diagnosed accurately at the time that somebody goes to A&E, for instance, then they're not going to survive. Um, and that happened in mm. my case. My son went in to A&E, not feeling well. And by the time he got there, he actually couldn't remember why he'd gone because the blood supply wasn't getting to his brain. Mm. So they sent him after four hours, they sent him home um, with what they call transient amnesia. And that was late in the evening. He'd been there over four hours. He was desperate to go home. He was fed up with being in hospital. So he went home and uh, about three hours, well, he had a snack before he went to bed, went to bed and a couple of hours later he died. That's, just like that yeah. and there was no they didn't do a ct scan which is the thing that can diagnose it if you have a chest ct scan the doctors can spot it and he wouldn't have died if he'd had that because they could have saved him i mean the surgery is huge it's um anything up to 12 hours it's big big surgery and takes a lot of getting over but he wouldn't have died suddenly as he mm. did and is it something that, that he developed or is it something that he always had? Because sometimes these um, things are often just not known about because you didn't know that he had it for a long time. Yeah. 
Um, we don't know how long he had it. It's not something uh, he wasn't born with it. And we've actually had genetic screening since mm. to make sure that it, because it can be genetic. It isn't always. But if you've got other um, issues like there's a, something called Marfan syndrome, which um, some people have, they're more predisposed to having an aortic dissection. And that's where the problem lies. Um, if they've got this predisposition, then they need to know about it. But they again, they don't always know about it. But we haven't got any of those things. We're not, it's not hereditary in our case. And one of the reasons why people have it, I mean, I'm not medical, this is just what I've gleaned from other people and medical people, is that if you have high blood pressure, then you are more predisposed to have it. Now, he had had high blood pressure, he then lost a lot of weight and told me that it had gone down. Mm. Now, we don't know now because by the time they did the blood pressure in hospital, it was very low because it wasn't getting round the body properly. It was leaking out of the aorta right. into the body cavity. So um, we don't really know. I'm assuming, I have assumed that it was high blood pressure that caused it. Um, and that's something that... Do GPs actually monitor people, particularly young people, mm. early enough? Do they do enough monitoring? I know he'd been and had it diagnosed some years before, but did he ever go back? Was he ever encouraged to go back? I don't know. And so what the charity wants to do is to work with everybody in the medical profession, right from the GP, the paramedics, A&E, uh, and all everybody from there on and also post care because there's not very much of that either mm. so what we're trying to do is make sure that more people not just are aware of it but do something about it because yeah, i because... know a and e do know about it but they don't always pick it up and do anything yes and i think so therefore awareness is, is really the key word isn't it because i mean i've certainly never heard of aortic dissection no. i've never heard of anybody no. um having died as a result of it and your son was 44 years old so he was a kind of a good age, if you like. I mean, I don't know whether he had a family of his own, but but it's a terrible thing to happen at any point in time. And it must have been very shocking uh, for you to not even it have any, any idea that that was a possibility. Oh, no, with no clue. And, of course, he was very fit. He played mm. squash two or three times a week. He was he was a big chap. He was six foot five. Mm. But he was fit. Um, and he had a healthy diet. He did everything. I mean, maybe he drank a bit too much, like most of us do. But apart from that, um, and the high blood pressure, he didn't seem to have any problems whatsoever. Mm. And and yet, do, people do die about it, die from it. But you don't always know. There's been um, a Spanish F1 driver very recently died suddenly, and his was an aortic dissection. Right. So it happens, but it doesn't necessarily get into the press because people don't know what it's about. They don't bother to put it. They might say it's heart-related or aorta-related, but they don't say dissection because yeah. they've never heard of it. Right. And so is it the case that it can be caused by a great many things? Um, it's not always caused by the same thing? No, it's not always caused by the same thing, and I think that's one of the problems. I mean, there are various... There's something called... I think it's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which, again, predisposes people not always, but can have an aortic dissection as a result of having that disease. And I mean, I don't know what the disease is, what else they do, but more people need to be not just aware, but be checking on it. And I think the medical profession, although they are aware of um, aortic dissection, 
they don't always think about it when, particularly in A&E, when a young man says, oh, I'm fine, which is what I'm sure my son did. And there's a, a consultant in Bristol who's done an amazing job. And she had some years ago, about 11, 12, 13 years ago, had two patients die suddenly from aortic dissection mm. after they'd left hospital. And she didn't know why. She wanted to know why. And so she then trained everybody in Bristol A&E to think about the aorta and to do a CT scan, if in doubt, do a CT scan. She's never lost a patient like that since right. by not diagnosing it. So it can be done. It can be one of those things that we can change the outlook for so many people, which is why this new charity is such an important thing to do. Of course, and you're launching it at the end of this month. Um, what is it you're asking for doctors to do? Are you asking, I mean, I don't know if there's an, an outward sort of sign that people have this particular problem. Um, are you just asking for better screening? Well, yes, we're, we're asking for better screening. We're asking for people to think more about it and do something. Don't just think about it and then think, well, this patient isn't that sick. So what you have to do is diagnose it. If diagnosis is done correctly, it, people can be saved. If the diagnosis doesn't happen, they won't be saved. Mm. And so that is the biggest problem. And what we want to do is work with people right the way through the medical profession even midwives, because 11% of women who die in childbirth from any sort of cardiovascular problem, they're aortic dissections. And yet I've never heard that before. No. So we'll even be working with the midwives associations, GPs, um, A&E, paramedics, nurses, everybody, right the way through. And as I say, at the end, what we want to do is look at how we can help people who've had it have a better lifestyle after they've survived it because there's there's not a lot of aftercare structured yeah. aftercare it's a bit haphazard some hospitals are brilliant and some are not so good so it's about evening out the provision and making sure that people are looked after so much better and i'm sure it's one of the many things um which are, are have been slightly neglected for want of a better word during the whole covid period haven't they because the nhs has been so obsessed with covid that they haven't really um um, been able to do all of the things that they would otherwise be doing in terms of screening people for stuff, in terms of seeing people who might be having, you know, issues with various things. Yes, I mean, that's something they're going to have to catch up on and make sure that they refocus. I mean, quite understandably, we've never had a pandemic in anybody's living memory. So um, they've had to focus and it's been a devastating disease and so many people have died from it. But now we've got the vaccines and we've got the death rates coming down and the incidences coming down. They're, they're going up a little bit because the schools are so much more testing. Yes. So you're going to see more cases. But basically, everything's dropping down quite rapidly. Yes. So once we can get back to normal and hospitals can get back to normal and once the NHS staff, those that have been on the front line looking after the COVID patients, get some sort of R&R &R and, and get some respite from the whole thing, have a bit of a break then i think we can get back on top where we were before but it's going to for some i mean cancer cases and things it's probably going to be years before we get right on top yes. and things like 
hip replacements, knee replacements, they've really been put on the back burner. Mm. So there's a lot of those that are waiting, desperately waiting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was quoting a figure this morning of 0.06%, I think, is positive, uh, is, is the number of positive tests in the school's community. Millions of kids have been tested, uh, and it's only a few thousand that have come back with positive tests. And again, uh, one would assume probably these are not uh, people who are particularly ill with COVID. But with now the vaccine uh, reaching so many people, uh, and with people who have had the, the disease, I mean, people have said to me this morning, what evidence have you got that if you open up the economy that there won't be another huge spike? Well, the evidence surely is that, one, we know that people are at much, much less risk now if they've had the vaccine of becoming very ill. And two, we also know that the risk of actually uh, the numbers of infections out there um, is, is, is very, very low. So, so I would have thought... And I know that the government's probably not going to bring it forward to Easter weekend in terms of the opening of non-essential shops and hairdressers and gyms and hospitality. But it would be nice to know that it's going to definitely happen on the 12th of April, as they have said. Yeah, it would be very nice. And of course, what nobody ever talks about is those people who have antibodies because they've had COVID and survived, of which there are many, many thousands. So not only is it the vaccine, it's those people who've already had COVID, who haven't died, who've survived. And I mean, yes, they could get it again, as anybody can, but they won't get it. They won't be hospitalised, or unlikely to be, and they're unlikely to die from it. So we're going to have more people who are resistant to COVID, and it's going to get greater and greater because the vaccine rollout has been such a phenomenal success. Yes, it really has. And I'm sure because you're part of the COVID recovery group that you, that you would also yeah. agree that the government have effectively said that if you're under 50, you're not any longer a priority for the vaccine. Therefore, you're probably not at much risk. No, I, I don't think you are. I mean, those that have got underlying health issues are going through the system and will continue to go through the system, whether um, they're 40 or 30 or 20. But those people who have no underlying health issues who are under 50, they are going to be slower just because of the um, numbers of vaccines coming into this country, which is a shame because it'd be great if we could all get both our vaccines done, done and dusted, and Mm. then we can move on. I mean, my concern now is um, holidays. People like me, I've got another five weeks to wait for my second jab. Um, but am I not going to be allowed to go on holiday after that time? Because I understand it was said yesterday that it would be a good idea for nobody to go on holiday until everybody had two jabs, which wipes out the holidays this well, year. It will, and, it will, and, and it will also wipe out, I would have thought, um, the holidays for, for anybody who's under the age of 50. Uh, but yeah. also it will wipe, it, has da- it has the dangerous p- potential of wiping out huge numbers of travel companies who just simply can't yes. survive two years in a row of not being able to yeah. make any money. Travel companies, hotels, the whole travel industry and hospitality industry, if we can have a vaccine certificate authorised by um, this country but to the format that, say, Europe want, then we ought to be allowed to go. But I understand there's talk that we won't be allowed to go till everybody's had it because yeah. it won't be fair. But then the older people, like me, have stayed at home. Yeah. We haven't been the ones going out and about and passing it round. We have generally stayed at home. 
So I think we are ready. I'm desperate for Arlo there. I don't know about you. I'm, Listen, I'm yeah. I mean, all, I've, all I've managed is four days in the Isle of Wight. You know, so I'm, <laughs> yes. you know, I'm not complaining because I'm fortunate. You know, I'm healthy. I'm here. I'm working. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, we've got to get the government out of this ridiculous mindset of shielding yeah. everybody um, who doesn't need to be shielded. You know, mm. it's just you know, it's time to move on. Surely, it is. And if the the um, aeroplanes and the ferries and what have you are happy to accept um, a negative test or the vaccines why on earth can't people go away the worry i suppose is bringing back a different variant yeah but But, i mean that's going to happen for the rest of the time forever yeah Yeah. we're going to live with that forever and also you know it's all very well coming up with these names like all the philippine variant you know because it came from the philippines no it's two people who were in the philippines who've come back with covid it's not a variant it's the same thing you know that's logical to me but listen pauline i really yeah i mean that's exactly right um i really appreciate you talking about such a personal um um, issue as well tell us uh, what you want people to do if they can get in touch with the charity uh if they can donate to it already what what can they do they can they can go on uh, the website is t-a-d-c-t which is the aortic dissection charitable trust.org and they can donate there or they can register on that to join in the launch, which is um, a half an hour next week, when we're going to be launching it to the press and the public to make people more aware of what's happened. Okay, and if you put a tweet out um, at some point in the future, please uh, let me know and we'll uh, we'll retweet it for you. Will do. That's brilliant. Thank Pauline, you very much. Thank you so much Thanks. for talking to us about it. Pauline Latham there talking about something which I'd never heard of uh, called aortic dissection. Uh, which unfortunately for Pauline caused the death of her 44-year-old son because nobody knew that he was suffering from it and nobody knew that it could kill him. Um, And it's something that I think we should all know about. It's certainly something I'm glad I now know about. Uh, And as I say, if you want to find out more, the charity is uh, tadct.org. And uh, we'll be tweeting out some stuff about that over the course of the next day or two. 
I'm not too bad. Stuck here in Brighton. It's stuck here like everyone else is, really, in their hometown. Yes, so you're I not know. too bad, thank you. Well, at least you're looking out at the sea at some point. I mean, it's it's. Well, I mean, I get to see the seaside at the weekends, and it's and it does actually make you feel slightly more uh, as if you've got something to live for than if you're kind of staring out into the middle of a courtyard somewhere in a big city. You know, it really does. I spent last last uh, lockdown in London, and obviously you've got the river and you've got some nice big parks, and it's quite re- uh, green London. But now to to spend this time in in Brighton has just made an absolute difference just mm. being next to the sea and I, I know how annoying it is for anyone sort of listening to that and thinking I can't get near to the sea because I've been stuck away from the sea too but yeah it makes you you feel a lot better all around I it think. really does absolutely right now uh, some of the big questions that I'm getting today are, are, are several sort of fold really one is um, we don't yet know do we which countries are going to be giving which deals to, to us because at the moment Europe is pretty much a no-go area for holidays but once it does start to open up are you hearing that they will ask for a combination of a vaccine and test or will it be one or the other what what are you hearing i'm hearing well it's quite interesting actually what's going on um it's something really interesting to follow at the moment because you've got all these different countries coming out you had greece earlier this week spain earlier this week all making their own decisions but at the same time as these countries are making their own decisions you've got the 22 27 uh, eu states have met to like come up with their own sort of let's try and do this collectively and that's where the the covid vaccine passport i think they're going to call it something like a green digital certificate mm. which confusingly might not actually be di- digital it might actually be a piece of paper right. but the, you then scan they're discussing this at the moment do you moment. think there'll be a lot of people demanding that it's not green but blue well i don't know i think if it gets me to it gets me on holiday i don't care if it's yeah, you know, orange or whatever but right. um uh, yeah so they the, the eu have met this week and it does look like something will be going ahead um by the summer but can you imagine the logistical challenge that would be of how you do it how you create this app you know we had the app over here that seems to have spent an awful awful lot of money to you know be no good and and, and also obviously we're not in the eu so we'll have to consider making our own app or having some proof because at the moment you don't want to hand over your medical records do you to anyone else except you know well not not to not to any place which is unlikely to be very secure certainly you know not to just some you know spotty individual standing behind a podium yeah, no, spots or no spots. I don't want to hand over my <laughs> medical records. To, you know, I'm not fussy about the spots, but no. uh, yeah, you don't. You, they they would have to access your medical records at the moment. You know, the people that are getting um, a vaccine are getting the little bit of card, but that's not that's not good enough. That's mm. not proof. So, and a whole other system is going to have to be put in place. Whether we do that here, uh, and you know, of course, in the EU, EU, and any any country in the world, really. Yeah, well, I'm also told there's quite a big black market around already on those cards, and people are buying and selling them on the internet even though they may or may not have had the actual vaccine but for the purposes have of travel, you got any contacts have you got any contacts i couldn't possibly i could so, not yeah. i could not possibly reveal that live on uh, on the air but but it's happening i mean me people are very um uh, are very sort of innovative uh, rather like many more people are doing things that the government have asked them not to do nowadays than they were say three or four months ago because they simply have had enough they're just not going to put up with it anymore yeah, everyone's taking their, not everyone, you know, I, I do sort of, you know, hear of people taking their own risks and making their own risk assessments. Yeah. The important thing to note with the COVID vaccine um, passport thing is that actually it's not just about having your vaccination. They will also be accepting. It's generally accepted that people will be accepting if you haven't had your va- your vaccine, um, so you don't have proof of that, that they will be accepting um, negative tests as well. So it's not going to be a ban on young people or people um, 
um, who haven't had the vaccine right. traveling generally. Although that is also subject to private companies because we have had Saga a few weeks ago saying that they're going to need proof of vaccination. And also P&O Cruises this mm. week have said that they will need, um, they will want proof of vaccination. Not to be confused with P&O cross-channel ferries. This is talking about their their cruises. So cruises, not, you yeah. don't need it to actually just get across the ferry right. and, on foot and, and, and surely, I mean, if the companies that want to encourage people to travel have got any brains, they'll do what British Airways have done, which is to offer a test for 33 quid rather than having to make you go to an airport testing centre or, you know, a private clinic somewhere where you're going to be paying in excess of 100 per person. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so expensive. And if you're traveling with a family, that's prohibitively expensive. So you need to have the test to leave the country. But I think also uh, what is not clear at the moment, and there should be an announcement, some sort of announcement on April the 12th, although obviously it will start to leak before, as it seems to, mm. that by the 17th of May, we should hopefully be able to go abroad, but it's not set in stone yet. So if you wanted to say now, take a chance and book a ticket for the for the 18th of May, it's not set in stone at all. You might not be able to travel. But what I think is more worrying and will stop uh, people booking is that you don't know what's going to happen when you come back in the country. Right. We still don't know. Are we going to have 10 days quarantine? Is there going to be a red list? Are we going to have to do, which you have to do at the moment, you have to do a test on day two and a test on day eight. And you can choose to do a test on day five to get out of quarantine or no, not if you're in a red list country. Mm. So it's all very, very complicated. And we don't know, you know, whether if we're allowed out the country, great after the 17th of May, but we still don't know um, what what is going to allow us to get back in? Are we going to have to take ten days off school or off work, which yes. a lot of people won't won't be able to do? So it, there's so many unknowns at the moment, and just hopefully something will come clear uh, by the the twelfth of April. You know, if not mm. by the uh, May the seventeenth. And so, what are what are travel companies mostly doing at the moment? Are they accepting bookings uh, and telling you that they will offer you a full refund if if something bad happens? Yeah, that is exactly what people are doing. I mean, they've had to scrabble, scrabble around to make all sorts of changes. And obviously, you've got things like COVID insurance now. But if you get onto any of the holiday uh, company websites, you, you will see that bookings, you can make bookings for summer. Uh, and hopefully, you will get your money back. But we do have stories of people getting their money back. I'm, I myself, I'm waiting for, for money from EasyJet. And at first, I changed it to a voucher thinking, oh, I'll definitely be going ahead in a few months, which obviously hasn't happened. Um, and now they're saying, because I changed it to a voucher, now you can't get the cash back so um, mostly and legally you will be able to get your money back mm. but somebody might be holding on to it for quite a while so you have to be able to afford to lose whatever your holiday or flight costs and also they're going up as well you know because people are taking the chance and it is a chance but people are willing to take it and I've had a little look for mm. um, for flights home for the uh, to Malaga which is my home um, and a very popular place to, to go obviously I've had a look at flights there for half term which is the end of May beginning of uh, June and uh, on one day, it's like 450 quid for one person. Really? Yes. But then if you go the, the day before, it's 60 quid. So, right. you know, it's uh, I think it all depends on your own, how determined you are to get away. And if you book now, you could possibly get a really good deal because they're only going to shoot up further when we get some so more solid yeah. information. I mean, I think there might be some parents, given the year that we've had with the absence from school, that are going to go, you're going to find me for taking my child out of school early. Good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of feeling a little bit like that myself, actually. You know, yeah. it's um, you don't want to take your kids out of school. But actually, if, if one thing this year is proven is they can spend months and months out of school. And well, do you remember, do you remember really Lisa, difficult. you'll remember this as a parent, I'm sure, that they used to say, well, of course, you know, if they miss just one day of school, you know, that it's really going to impact on their future development. And you go, right, well, how does six months out feel? 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, let's face it, they're kind of like messed up already. They're, they're schooly. We might as well take them out and go for a week in the Caribbean. I mean, obviously, don't don't say that I told you to do that. But, yeah, no, I, as a parent myself, it's something I'm considering, you know, a week at half term to get back and see friends and family and in countries. And we live in an international community these days. So many people are separated from their friends and families and loved ones. And there's no shame in wanting to go on on holiday either mm. and then take a few days off when you come back, because you'll have you'll have those 10 if it, you still if we still have 10 days quarantine two of those are going to be the weekend so you know they're not going to miss that much and as long as you can swing it through work then um i can understand why some people are tempted yeah. to do that no i think so and i mean people say to me occasionally why are you always talking about holidays but you know it's a big business there are people whose livelihoods depend on people like us going on holiday in order for them to have a job and there, and, and there are companies that need us to continue to to, to prop them up financially uh, in order that they will still be there to be used next year Absolutely. And people think I think people think of, you know, big travel companies and they see the, the rich CEOs and everything, but they don't. What, what you're not thinking about is just the people that work for the airlines, for the hotels, the people that, that you know, the cleaners, the porters, the restaurant owners, the people in our country that run tiny little tea rooms, the travel agents. I've been hearing a lot from travel agents mm. recent, uh, recently, and a, a lot of those are just independent people sitting at home making bookings. Yeah. They've lost so much money and worked all year for free because all they're doing is working solidly to give money back to people, right. you know, working on these refunds. So it's so, travel is so far reaching. Yes, nobody's entitled to a holiday but people there's no shame in wanting a holiday you know we've all have a tough year mm. and if if holidays are your thing then then wonderful there's absolutely no shame in wanting to relax and spend time with your family and also staycations i know they're really popular and i i love the uk but you, you can't guarantee the weather if weather is something you you like and certainly it makes things easier if you've got young children or you want to do outdoor things and also it's so expensive isn't it it's well do so you know expensive. i wanted to make that point because somebody sent me a tweet actually which i should read out which i lost a minute ago uh, but i'll get it back because he was talking about how you know it's much cheaper to go abroad frankly here the problem with taking holidays at home from kingsley uh, is it's so expensive the same bottle of vodka that Lidl sell in the uk for 10 quid costs four pounds in spain same with meals even sausage and mash in a pub in cornwall last year cost 15 quid in spain i can have a fillet steak for that yeah, absolutely. It's not just, you know, it's not just accommodation nice here is quite expensive. Exactly. Accommodation here is expensive, but it's everything else. It's it's your wine, it's your your meal out, it's the ice creams for the kids. All of those things are really prohibitively expensive for some families here. Yeah. And then also, obviously, if you go abroad, you also have the option of doing all inclusive, which you can get a good deal. It's not Although that disappeared, did that not, did the buffet sort of style disappear, didn't it? All inclusive. I presume that won't be coming back for a while. Yeah, buffets are, uh, are meant to be a bit of a hotbed for, for COVID activities. Mm. I, I, I don't know, actually, what the hotels are doing at the moment. You do see, I know here in Brighton, some of the cafes still have buffet uh, takeaway at the moment, but they're serving you. Right. Um, so maybe that's how hotels will get around the buffet. But sadly, I haven't been to a, a hotel for so long. <laughs> I can't tell you no, what they're doing. But you know what? I don't like to I don't like to not have an answer for something. So I will I will investigate what's happening with the hotel. Is there a future for the hotel buffet? And I and I will get back to you because actually they're really useful to stock up on stuff. And particularly if you've got people who are fussy eaters or, you know, kids. with Yeah. And if you've got young, but younger kids, I mean, we, we were on a diet of of, of, of all-inclusive for a long time now that the kids are a bit older it's a bit different but when they're younger and they're kind of you know four o'clock in the afternoon a bit hungry we'll go and get an ice cream you don't have to give them money you don't have to give them a card you know it's just you know just go and get it because it's already paid for 
Yeah, exactly. It can. You, you know what you're paying up front, don't you? And I can see the value in that. But there are so many countries that you can go to. You know, Turkey have said they want to receive us back. Greece have obviously been quite prominently talking about that. Spain, where the food is just amazing and really, really cheap, you know, definitely compared mm. to here. So right. I'm making myself sick with this. You know, that's the trouble with I this know. job is I'm always talking about <laughs> lovely things and travel. I'm just thinking, please, just I let know. us go somewhere I know, safely, obviously. Of course. Safely. I mean, a good question here from Peter, who says, uh, amongst other things, uh, you do have to pay for vaccines to visit many countries in Africa and South America. Is your health really worth being too tight to pay out for it? Well, it's not that. It's just that so many people can't afford it, Peter. But he does say he reckons travel insurance will insist on it or you probably won't be covered. Yeah, but we can't pay for the vaccine. Even if you want to pay for the vaccine, you can't pay for the vaccine. And I this isn't um, anything I've heard. I don't know if you've heard, Mike, about when a vaccine mm. might be able to be. Uh, I know there's all sorts of ethical issues. You know, we need to roll it out as much as possible. But at some point, is it going to be able to uh, be? Well, I know I can I can tell you that, that I can tell you that there have been some instances of people, wealthy people, paying for their employees to go to Dubai to get in uh, to get a vaccination and then to come back having had it. Um, but obviously, that has also sorts of ethical questions around it i think he's also just talking about the testing thing as well which yeah. again many people don't really have the choice if you've got four kids and there's six of you traveling and you're going to be expected to pay for three tests you're talking ridiculous money you know what are you what are you talking there 1800 quid or something because of the, yeah. all the testing you'd have to do yeah, no, and that is and that is the thing. And you know, on on the flip side, you know, I'm all for the travel and everything. But you were you were uh, talking about it earlier in the news about how lots of cases did come in from Greece last summer. Um, so we do have to do something. And and the man is right, is that we should, if we can afford to, um, you know, we should have the test. But obviously, that's going to put it out of uh, out of reach for a lot of ordinary people, isn't it? It's always the way. It's the people that um, you know that get hit the most is the the families and yeah. ordinary working people, unfortunately. Indeed, and in. In terms of the staycation and people staying at home, I mean, I'm already hearing stories that the beginning of April, the first week of April, uh, is now a nightmare for trying to get any kind of table booked in a restaurant because they're all booked. Everybody's gone, right, April the 10th, uh, 12th rather, as soon as we can get outside a restaurant with some heaters and an awning, we're going to go out. And so I would imagine um, if people who have got holiday lets and being Airbnbs, hotels in this country, I mean, it's not going to be that easy to find one, is it? No, it's not going to be easy to find a, a, an Airbnb or a, a, you know, there's always going to be the less popular places, but the really popular places are, are uh, definitely very booked out. And like you said, it's the other stuff around it. And I'm, I'm hearing people that want to book um, meals in restaurants and, and can't do them up until July, August, yeah. September. And that's just here in Brighton, you know, popping out to your local for, for, for something. So to, for the hotspots, you know, Cornwall and Devon and the Norfolk coast and all of those sort of areas. Yeah, I can imagine that it's going to be really difficult to book anything. But then I suppose on the flip side, we have all sort of reduced our expectations of things, haven't we? We're used to staying in more. Um, and, and, and if you do get the cottage in, in Cornwall for a week, you know, you, you might be more willing to cook more if you can't book a table. Mm. But yeah, it's, it is going to affect the the quality of a holiday in some ways. But then on the other side, we might all just be so grateful to sort of be anywhere. You know, even going for a day trip is going to feel like a week in the Maldives. Well, that's right. I mean, I, I wonder whether over. we're going to have a sort of two speed society lisa where people who don't really care for going out and don't necessarily miss it uh, are just not going to do it and they're not going to bother whereas those of us who actually feel uh, bereft without it are, are going to be going on holiday are going to be going out for dinner and are we going to go to the pub 
I think uh, I can only liken it to in in the travel industry when there's been a terrorist attack uh, or something that, Mm. you know, stops people from traveling somewhere. And for a few months, people don't come back. You know, Paris got got very badly hit uh, in a tourism sense by that. Um, For a few months, it definitely dies down. And then gradually people forget and they start going out and they start coming back and then suddenly things are back to normal. So if the vaccine rollout is is working as it is, and, you know, obviously there's a few problems with that, but it seems to be working and the levels are going lower, obviously the weather's getting better which helps hopefully you know we'll continue to get back to normal and the people who enjoy travel and, and going out and all of those things of which i'm definitely one will will start to do it as much as they they did before as, or as, as much as they please yes and i mean i know your situation is, is slightly different from a lot of others where you've got family and stuff in spain i mean would you consider going there um and just staying there for a while if that's possible to do uh, yeah, I mean, my, I, there's people that wouldn't let me in my life, Mike, but um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to. I'm sure lots of us uh, are thinking like that. But, mm. um, you know, Brexit has kind of uh, stuffed us up a little bit. You can only stay 90 days in every 180. So um, you can't just you can't just up sticks and move somewhere like you could do. Mm. I mean, my, my parents moved to uh, to Spain when there was no EU, uh, you know, we weren't part of the EU yes. and they, they managed to move there and settle there. So you can you can absolutely do that. It's just a lot more. Yeah, well, to, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all it's now. all going to settle down. I mean, unfortunately, like many things, it's kind of the arguments that are made by people are generally sort of you know influenced by what they feel about whether we should be in the EU or not. You know, like musicians who want to tour in Europe will be able to tour in Europe. They might have to jump through a few more administrative hoops, but it won't stop them from playing shows uh, in Vienna if that's what they want to do. You know, yeah, hopefully you know, not. Hopefully life. Not. I mean, I used to love when I was a kid. And this shows how old I was. We used to drive around Europe and we'd get a stamp everywhere we went. You know, we'd go from France to Belgium to Germany to Austria to Italy and I'd get a stamp and we'd change money everywhere. It was a great adventure. You know, nobody went, oh, a lot easier when you don't have to do that because when we didn't get any stamps, it was kind of like, oh, how how do you know I've even been anywhere? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, I, you know, I'm a big, as a, a traveller and someone who grew up in Europe, you know, I, I have been a fan of, of, you know, that sort of openness. But I have to say, I did miss stamps, you know, that's yeah. a, that's one thing we can celebrate is that hopefully we'll get the return, return of stamps. Yeah. Well, they don't always do them these days anyway. So, yeah, I mean, nobody little, knows those really. Those little badges you used to have to buy to sew onto your jacket. <laughs> oh, I don't even remember. I don't remember, yeah, remember those. I used to get them from no. Tyrol and from, you know, the Alps. They'd be like, you know, oh, when you yeah, had like, sort of Harrington jackets and you would sew badges on them. Well, I collect, um, because you need to collect something cheap, especially when you've got young children. Yeah. You don't want them to collect anything expensive. So I used to collect from every single country I went. You know those pens that you have that oh, you, yeah. well, sometimes you get like a sort of naked lady, but that wasn't what I was collecting on it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you have them with the Eiffel Tower yes. floating up and down with a right. bit of water in or something. I used to collect those. I've yeah, got that's about all good. 50 of those. Yeah. And then uh, I've moved on to magnets now, because magnets are fridge everywhere. Magnets. They're cheap we do and that. Cheerful. Yeah, that's fridge good. Magnets. Yeah, very good. And exactly. also, you, you can... don't want to collect... And also you can look at them and you can remember where you were and what you did there. Yeah, and they're cheap. So uh, I think that's the main thing. That's Don't go new, collecting anything expensive. That's going to be the new travel plan, right? Just buying a load of magnets and sticking them on the fridge and just remembering what it was like. Lisa. That's all. Um, we can only get the magnets. We I can't know. go anywhere. We can just buy the magnet, get them on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, well, hopefully we'll be having a better conversation soon. Lisa Francesca, now travel journalist, host of the Big Travel Podcast. We'll see you soon, hopefully, uh, in London, if nowhere else. Anyway. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.46. It's Friday. And it's time for a rather special version of this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
uh, change habits of a lifetime and take a picture of everybody. Uh, full, full compliance for the uh, Malta Malagon Farewell Perrier Awards. A very good afternoon to you. A very good afternoon to you and about time, guys. Well done. <laughs> Welcome. Goodness me. If I'd known that all it was going to take was for me to leave, maybe I would have left sooner. Well, listen, there have been no, some people really. have suggested that, but I wasn't one of them. No, of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Anyway, welcome. Hello and Hello. welcome and yes. good afternoon and welcome again. Why not? Yes. To the Perry Rewards mm. uh, for the new listeners because I know we get loads We've of them every week. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called so Independent cold. Republic of my grandma <laughs> on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. Mm. Mike, tradition says the first Perry goes to you. Yes. And this one is actually fresh from this morning, a oh. little bit over two hours ago. It's the pronunciation of the week. Apparently, Mr, Mrs and Miss is going to be replaced by... Mix. I'll try and say that again. Mix. 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 Sounds like I'm being ill. It sounds like you're choking on a piece of meat or it something. It does, doesn't it? Mix. Bless you. But how are you supposed to say it? Max. 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 Max is wrong. Max is Mexican. Mix is <laughs> yes, little mix. Little mox. mix. Yeah, mox. Different. Mux. Mooks? No, it doesn't no. work, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Idiots. No. <laughs> Absolute idiots. Well, we have tried. Yes. And um, Mike, earlier in the week, I think it was on Monday, mm. you told us about this incident that happened at the weekend. Mm. Um, you went to make chicken curry, and for that, you needed to defrost some chicken uh, in the microwave. Dear listener, you won't believe what happened next. Opened it up after a couple of minutes to see how it was getting on. It was on fire. <laughs> the chicken was on fire. I kid you not. Something had happened. I don't know what it was, but apparently this particular uh, box of chicken, instead of just being paper and plastic, had some kind of metal in it. Oh, good. And the metal had somehow been ignited by the microwave. And there were flames coming out of it. The mother of my children said, it smells like an Indian restaurant in here. <laughs> I, I didn't tell her that it was a fire, obviously. And I basically just put it under the tap and, and wiped all the sort of the, the scorch marks off it and, and put, it in the, put it in the pot. It was fine. It tasted hot. It was well good. Done. It was okay. good. But, I mean, who puts a security tag on chicken? It happened to me once with a jar of Nutella. Did it? I was a student back then, right. and I was an idiot. I can't stress this enough. I was an idiot. Well, you tried to microwave Nutella? <laughs> yeah. What? Why? Because <laughs> I, um, I wanted to melt a little bit. You right. know how sometimes you put it in the cupboard? Yeah, a little, a little bit. bit yeah. And um, it just gets, like, really hot. So. You must have been in a cold country then. Well, I was in Britain. All oh, right. I was here. It was my first year... A university here, okay. lived in Halls. I right. had a very, uh, very old microwave. Mm. And I Googled this and it said, don't put Nutella in the microwave. <laughs> don't do that. But I was like, rubbish. It's just glass though, isn't yeah. it? So I took the, 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 you know, the label off and yes. I was making sure. Anyway, it, flames came out of it. Really? I've never been That's so scared amazing. in a long time. I mean, I've already blown up one microwave when I put an egg in to boil. So far. Um, and it just blew the door off. Yes. Amazing. Yes. You've got to be really careful with yeah, microwaves. I know. And whatever you do, don't put a Nutella jar in a microwave. Even if don't you think that it. you've got rid of all the uh, metal thing. Yes. Oops, sorry. You won't. <laughs> so don't the do that. Flaming Nutella is a good name for a band. <laughs> I know. Right? I like it. So anyway. You, um, Sounds like the kind of thing you know. my teenage son would do. Oh, some. I you think know? everyone does it at some point. Right. It's one of those things that you've got to do in life mm. to show how much of an idiot you exactly. are. Exactly. Um, anyway, moving on. Yes. Uh, friend of the show, David Buick, wins a parry for the interruption of the week. Going on holiday in, the, in this country as well as abroad, restaurants, better, better, extraordinary things like that, you know, on uh, the question of um, of um, other issues. Let me turn this wretched thing yes. off. I'm sorry. That's all right. Me. You're a man in great demand, David. 
<laughs> he's a man in great demand. The great thing is when people get distracted by that, and they can't, he was obviously trying to stop yes. it from ringing. And then did, was there not a voice at one point? I'm sure I heard a woman's voice, like did he it? somehow answered it. It is possible. Yeah. Yes, mm. I, I did not get that clip. I know, not but, to worry. Um, I did get some similar clip because it was uh, Mark Volkowski, not David Buick, yes. who wins a pair for the best ringtone of the week. <laughs> and demonstrates what can be done to his own channel by walking off. Excuse me. Now, that's possibly the best interruption I think I've ever heard. This is for your walking off into some kind of sunset scenario. There's going to be more promotion coming out of COVID. There's going to be a lot more. Um, there'll be a different set of stories to... I'm pretty sure that's a James Bond theme, isn't it? I, I have think absolutely it's from no one idea. of the James Bond films. It's, a def it's definitely John Barry, uh -huh. who's the composer. Yes. Um, and the guy who used to write all the kind of, you know, theme tunes for mm -hmm. Bond. I'm pretty sure it's a Sean Connery or Roger Moore one, maybe. It is possible. An older one. We'll investigate that. Yes. Um, it was great, though. Yes. Listen, it only happened twice. Yeah, I and should it... get a signature tune, shouldn't I, so that whenever I start speaking, the music <laughs> starts to play behind me. The problem we have is that we'll get copyright strikes from YouTube, oh, and, you know, yeah. Carl and Gareth out there won't be very happy yeah, about that. they problems. Yeah, quite. As we, as we may discover later. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> uh, Carl and Nigel in Temple Fortune wins the Story Breaker of the Week. Mm. Morning. Well, I've got some breaking news for you. Go on. Uh, Prince Philip has left hospital. Yes. We've already broken that news, I'm afraid, <laughs> oh, Nigel. sorry. All right. <laughs> sorry. Thank you so much. It was about much. half an hour late. It was about, yeah, about uh, half an hour late. He was taking pictures. Yes. Because that's what he does. Yeah, that's his job. Yeah. But yeah, bless him. He well. must have not realised there was so much of a gap between taking the picture and ringing us. Well, he must have been busy. Possibly so. You know, some people are busy when some they are. work. Yeah, not, not me, us. But other people. Mm. Back to you, Mike. It's the impression of the week. But can you guess who it is? Stop Brexit! <laughs> <laughs> and so our man with the loud hailer, Mr. Yeah. Steve Bray. Mr. Steve Bray, yes. who's been uh, back on College Green. Apparently, for the last he's week. changed his. He shouts something else now. Oh well, there's, well, yeah, because Brexit because might happen. He can't stop Brexit now, <laughs> so I presume he's got something else to shout. Well, he was also doing a silent protest around the Sky Guys, wasn't he? I like that. Carrying these placards. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, listen, keep going. Yeah. It's a Did free we not country. also see our other friend, Ken? Down Ken. There. Ken yeah. was also there. Ken with was his, there you know, as well. Christian with his, uh, sign. Yeah. We're all going to die. Kind yeah. Of placard thing. Yeah. Um, He's going to be right eventually. Well, yeah. Well, you know, he, we'll all be dying at some at point. At some point. But let's not get into that. No. Let's finish um, talking about. Uh, some incident, mm. you know, our talk radio listeners will remember that on Wednesday we had uh, technical issues. Yes. Uh, this meant that for a few minutes, our programme sounded like this. Yes, that was a key reason we voted against, and it was personal. <laughs> I never actually heard that. Well, because there's not much, <laughs> there's not much to listen. <laughs> it's just 12 minutes of that. Yeah. And, and then you get Boris Johnson, but he also sounds like that. So, you know... Thankfully, so many apologies for that. Well, yes, yes, many apologies. But, you know, you won't be surprised to hear that after Plank of the Week Gate, mm. which happened two, three weeks ago, I can't even remember when, yes. uh, we've had to launch a serious investigation into what happened. Mm. We are in one of the uh, biggest news organisations in the world. We are. News UK. Mm. We've got CCTV cameras everywhere. That's true. Cameras is enough. Everywhere. And we have found the person responsible for this. Good. We Thank have. goodness. Uh, and I can say, live on air, it's not James Larvin. Isn't it? It's not. I thought it was him. No, because he was in witness protection. Yes, true, yeah. He's been in a but safe house. But I thought house. I saw him the other day, you know. Has he had, a, has he had some uh, some work done? Like He's had some plastic surgery, yes, yeah, so yeah, you I can't thought, recognise yeah, him. Yeah, I was yeah. pretty sure it was him, though. <laughs> he was walking that way that he walked, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, it was him, but it wasn't him who, who did it. Okay. And, you know, and if you're watching on YouTube or Twitter, mm. 
This is your chance, because here it goes. This is one of these. One of these orange ones, right? Okay, I'll take that one out now. <laughs> well, listen, I didn't know which one I was pulling out. Well, that, that's become very clear. Yes, sorry about that. My many, <laughs> many that. apologies. Well, listen, no, many apologies, but thank you, because, mm. you know, it's just so fun and games at the end of the day, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, fortunately... Um, People were, were understand, very understanding because it was. Mm. It, we weren't sure what was going on. Oh gosh, you no! Know, we lost power. We lost transmission. We lost we got the it screens. Back, thankfully, actually, to the uh, to the, the guys in the technical department, we actually did get thanks it all back. Thanks to James Larvin, partly. Believe well, it or the people, not. the other people yeah. that worked there, not him. <laughs> not thanking Bless. him. Uh, but no, it was really scary. I didn't have because we have a screen that I used to communicate with yeah. you. And that screen wasn't working. That wasn't working. So you didn't, didn't talk to me either. I because you know, I didn't know whether I could. Mm. But anyway. That's all for the pair rewards, and that's all from me as well. Martin Maligon. That's me. Are we playing some music first? I don't know. Let's do that. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Now, some of you know, because you're on Twitter and social media, that Marta is leaving Talk Radio. Uh, she's been a stalwart of this organisation. She's been here since the very beginning, in fact, uh, since even before I was here. But she's been working with me for the best part of the last two and a bit years, I would two say. Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half years, and she's been amazing. She started off as the um, assistant producer. She became the producer, um, and she's done a fantastic job, a wonderful job. I can't thank her enough, and I can't praise her enough. And where she's going, you're going to be very lucky to have her, right? But I think we have a little presentation. Izzy, who's not leaving, or at least not yet anyway, um, <laughs> has you got you much. some f lovely flowers um, and a little bottle of something. I'm give you the elbow. Give us the elbow, Come. and I'd just like <laughs> to you wish so you much. well. And everybody who knows Marta and who's listened to the Perry Awards, which you've made your own uh, over the course yeah. of the last couple of, uh, couple of years, um, we'll miss you very much. Um, Thank you. But we'll see you soon, and hopefully, once they open the pubs, I'll be able to get very drunk with you at some point oh, gosh. Um, in the near future. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. And, and let me just say, I haven't prepared anything, but thank you, Mike. Not at all. For, for everything for the last two and a half years. Thank you. I think to... we can be very proud of what we've done together. I think so, yeah. Some people would disagree. And all the guys but, behind you know. there as well. Will, oh, yes, yeah, thank way. you all so much. Like, even even the, the, the incompetent ones. No, yes. Okay, there's no incompetent yes. people here. But uh, no, thank you. Thank you to Denny Morrace for trusting me to be here yes. and be behind the glass and do all the things that I do. I've been overwhelmed by everyone on social media in the last uh, 12 hours. It's mm. been ridiculous. My phone keeps going off. I had to put in a draw last night. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't thank everyone because it's impossible i've had so many messages but um thank you so much for being on the other side thank you so much for all the nice things that you're saying about this little thing that i do at the end of every mm. week and allows me to take the mickey out of you it's great i just i, I never thought it would be something that people would miss <laughs> but uh i do appreciate that and and all i have to say is is thank you thank you thank you and i'm gonna miss you loads yes. it hasn't hit me yet no and i think monday morning when i wake up and, and i actually see you on telly and not from behind the glass, I yeah. think. I think that it'll hit me then. Well, listen, but, um, best I of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, Ian Collins is going to come up next. We'll be back at 10 o'clock uh, on Monday. Martyrless, I'm afraid. But we will, we will fight on. We will continue the battle. We will f continue to keep saying all the sensible things that you love us saying. This is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. Stop Brexit! Online, on DAB+, and on your smart speaker. Talk radio across the UK. Online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 
on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.